coming up on Philosophy Talk. Who has a right to tell you what to do with your own body? This tobacco product contains a drug called nicotine, which is addictive. If it's my body, shouldn't I be the one who decides what it's okay to do with it? If I had my way, I would say it is just as addictive as heroin or cocaine. Does the government really need to protect me from myself? While I am smoking cigarettes, I am not downing a bottle of scotch. So, looked at from that point of view, it's a health tool. Smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette. Puff, 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 and if you puff yourself then Tell St. Peter at the Golden Gate that you just hate him, make him wait. But you just gotta have another cigarette. Our guest is Cecile Fogg, author of Whose Body Is It Anyway? Justice and the Integrity of the Person. Regulating Bodies, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Got a smoke? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. And I'm John Perry. And we're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. That's where Ken and I teach philosophy. Today, regulating bodies. Ken, nobody has a right to tell me what to do with my own body. That's obvious. Not even the government. It's my body, after all. I can do with it whatever I please. But, John, there are mandatory seatbelt laws, prohibitions against prostitution, laws against the buying and selling of human organs. All that involves regulating the body. You see something wrong with that? Well, I do. First of all, I and I alone have exclusive ownership of my body. If that's right, which it surely is, it follows pretty directly that as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, I should be left alone to do with my body as I please. Well, John, but first of all, the state actually has an interest in seeing to it that its citizens remain healthy and able-bodied. Think of all the people who fight our wars or keep our streets safe or care for and educate our children. Where are those people going to come from if the state were to just sit back and allow us all to eat, drink, or drive ourselves to early graves? You make the state sound like a hovering, hectoring helicopter parent. Uh, Well, I'm not really arguing for paternalism. Not exactly, anyway. But look, just as the state has a legitimate claim to some of our financial resources, it also has a legitimate claim to our bodily resources, it seems to me. You're comparing regulation of the body to taxes? Oh, come on. You mean to say that the state can, oh, I don't know, legitimately take one of my arms or one of my kidneys and redistribute it to someone else? Well, I'm not sure I'd go quite that far. But look, suppose that there was a blood shortage or a bone marrow shortage. What would be so wrong with the state actually compelling healthy people to donate blood or bone marrow to relieve the shortage? Well, donating blood, donating bone marrow, those are good things, all for them. I don't object to the state encouraging people to do those good things, but compelling them, that goes too far. Well, John, but wait a minute. Just leave the state out of it for a minute if that bothers you. Look at it from a moral point of view. There's a person right here, right now, who needs a blood transfusion or he's going to die. He's going to die, John. If you could save him by giving a pint or two of your precious blood, aren't you morally obligated to do so? If I don't give my blood and I just let this poor person die, then you could rightly accuse me of being a callous, uncaring SOB. But you're implying that the dying person has some kind of right to my blood. 
I don't agree with that at all. Well, why not? Well, because it's my body. It's mine, all mine. Not a single part of it belongs to the public or the government or to arbitrary strangers, however needy they are. If so, no one else ever has a right to any part of it. I, I think you're, you're trying to back me into a corner. You're trying to get me to deny that your body belongs exclusively to you. Okay, you know what? I bite the bullet. I deny it. It's not just your body. Are you serious? I'm deadly serious. Go back to the tax analogy. Most people grant that society at large has a moral claim to at least a portion of our private wealth. I, there's a tricky question about how much. I mean, clearly, it would be wrong to tax people into poverty. But as long as taxation leaves people with sufficient wealth to live flourishing lives, society seems perfectly within its rights to demand, not just to request, John, but to demand that we all make financial contributions to the common good. Well, so there are limits. You're at least saying that just as the government can't legitimately tax us into poverty, it can't legitimately violate our basic bodily integrity. That's part of what I'm saying. That's why neither morality nor the state can require that I give up one of my arms, say. Yeah, but you're also suggesting that as long as the basic integrity of my body is preserved, I can be morally, maybe even legally, required to give up quote, excess bodily parts, at least if doing that increases the well-being of others. John, you've got it exactly right. And to carry the analogy a little bit further, think of estate taxes. Just as we confiscate the estates of the wealthy dead, at least part of them, for the common good, maybe, maybe we should confiscate the bodily organs of the healthy dead for the common good, too. The healthy dead. Hmm. Interesting concept. Well, Ken, I'm not sure I agree with any of this. But you've convinced me that it's maybe not so simple as I thought to say exactly who owns how much of my body and just why. There's some interesting things here to talk about. And to give us even more to think about, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, out to a city that's trying to regulate its citizens' bodies. She files this report. In Richmond, California, City Councilman Jeff Ritterman says soda is killing people, or at least it's shortening their lives. Obesity, type 2 diabetes mellitus, hypertension, premature heart attacks, premature strokes, and cancer. That entire cluster is now definitively linked to the intake of sugar-sweetened beverages. Ritterman is trying to get voters to pass a penny-per-ounce soda tax. The tax could be used to pay for nutrition classes and swimming lessons for students to help reduce obesity. A third of our Latino students, a third of our African-American students are obese and another 20% are overweight in each group. If we do nothing, those children will die young. Ritterman was a cardiac surgeon for 30 years before joining the city council. He points to a recent study that shows men who drink a can of soda a day are 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. It's a product that's literally robbing our children of years of life. And this small city in Northern California is not the first to try to limit soda consumption. Supersized drinks like this are the target of a first-of-its-kind ban that New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg wants to impose. New York City's Board of Health recently voted to ban the sale of soda drinks larger than 16 ounces in movie theaters and restaurants. Of course, many oppose the ban. They say it's government paternalism at its worst. New Yorkers for Beverage Choices is a group of mostly business owners financed by the soft drink industry. Here's a clip from a video on the group's website featuring Teamster executive board member Joe Vita. We ask that the mayor reevaluate this proposed plan and to work with our companies to educate consumers, not eliminate their freedom of choice. 
The Center for Consumer Freedom took out a full-page ad in the New York Times with Mayor Bloomberg's face photoshopped on the body of a nanny and the words, Nanny Bloomberg, you only thought you lived in the land of the free. The argument about a nanny state, you know, why is this government, isn't this government overreach, isn't this government interference, I think makes only sense when everybody is very well informed. And so we see this as a sort of right to know issue, uh, as really using the tax to inform the public. Ritterman says we aren't really free in our choices anyway. Poor residents may not have healthy shopping options close by and affordable, and the soft drink industry spends a lot of money to make products appealing. So in a sense, this is counter-advertising, and it's really aimed at just making people healthier. We have nothing to gain here but making the people of Richmond, and particularly our future generation, healthier. Ritterman believes the tax will change behavior in a way a public education campaign cannot. And he believes government not only has the right, but the duty to protect residents from soda. If the children in Richmond who are overweight and obese now are not successfully intervened upon, they will not be in a position to coach the Little League, to teach the Sunday school, to do the myriad of volunteer things that any community needs to develop the cohesiveness that builds community. So in a way, the residents of Richmond, California, owe it to their city to stay healthy. And Jeff Ritterman is making sure the city holds them to it. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Ash. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.